everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there, noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do, but you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Motion and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They are completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, off your order. Hey everyone, it's Monday, July 18th. I'm Mosh Wanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I am joined by a special guest co-host today, Kevin Mano. Kevin has had a long career in radio and TV and is joining me from Nashville. Hey, Kevin. Mosh, good to see you, man. Thank you so much for having me, and, and thanks for this podcast, and thanks for what you do on Instagram. I'm a big fan, and this is really cool for me to be here with you. I appreciate that, man. I actually recently discovered your podcast. Once I launched mine in June, I got a bunch of DMs from folks who were saying, you got to check out this First Thing podcast with Kevin. Uh, And so thanks to all of you who reached out and said, you'd love to see a collaboration. So then I reached out to Kevin. You gave me a quick quick message back. We had a great phone call. And then I was like, he's got a 312 area code. We have a Chicago connection. And we do. Yeah. I'm actually from like Northwest Indiana outside of Chicago. I say I'm from Chicago and people get mad at me for that. But I lived in Chicago for a long time. I went to school in Naperville. Uh, so I do consider Chicago home. And it's always nice to uh, talk to a fellow Chicago Chicagoan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, to to the outside world, I, I too am a Chicagoan. To a Chicagoan, I'm also somebody who is inappropriately using the, uh, the title. We do it. I grew up in the northern suburbs, initially in Morton Grove and then Buffalo Grove. So officially, for a Chicagoan, you're, I'm a suburbanite as well, Kevin. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, and my <laughs> podcast, yes, I, I uh, do a podcast called First Thing with Kevin Mano. Thank you for mentioning it. Uh, it is currently actually kind of on hold right now while I figure some stuff out behind the scenes, but it's just a quick 10-minute daily rundown of all the headlines across the board, opinion-free. I'm with you. You know, there's too much slant out there these days. So uh, trying to keep it opinion free like you do, which I love and respect about you. Uh, so, yeah, we're uh, we're fighting the good fight, man. Try w- one by one, my friend, one by one. And mm-hmm. so when I saw you're on hiatus, I was like, well, I wonder what he's up to. You know, uh, Jill, who co-hosts this with me a couple days a week, is on maternity leave. So we were trying to check out some uh, some have some guest co-hosts mm-hmm. during that time period. And I was like, Kevin, co- co- yeah. come and check this out. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I have to say, before we get to the uh, the news, I have to say congrats to Jill. Without her and her baby, I wouldn't be here. And I saw the photo <laughs> on your Instagram. So uh, congrats, Jill. Beautiful baby. 
Yeah, no, a special congrats to Jill for those uh, who didn't read the newsletter or saw on Instagram last week. Uh, Jill uh, and baby boy are uh, healthy and doing well. He came a couple days earlier than expected, but uh, they are doing great. And so major congrats to uh, Jill, her husband, and the whole family. All right, let's get to the news. Uh, here's what we are following today. A new report laying out all that went wrong in Uvalde. What's next for gas prices after President Biden's trip to the Middle East? A new list of which airports to avoid if you can help it this summer. Uh, and a Good Mood Monday story to end the show. What one inspirational boss did for 80 of his employees. Yeah, Kevin, we know Monday is tough enough for people to deal with. And some of the news uh, that you've listened to is not the most uplifting. So we try to make a point every Monday of at least ending with some semblance of, you know, there are good people and there are still some good news stories that happen out there. All right, let's get to those headlines, starting with this stunning new investigation into the Uvalde school shooting. The report conducted by the Texas House spreads blame across every law enforcement agency that responded to the attack from the local police up through federal officials. Uh, It finds that nearly 400 law enforcement officers rushed to the Uvalde school But what they call, quote, systemic failures created a chaotic situation that lasted more than an hour before the shooter was confronted. 21 children and adults were killed during that time. Uh, The report was initially released to victims' family members before it went out to the public on Sunday. Moshe, the report also criticizes the school and talks about all the warning signs that family and acquaintances of the shooter should have picked up on along the way. Yeah, Kevin, the report runs about 80 pages and it's a preliminary report, so we will see a finalized report at some point. It's pretty shocking, and it basically goes along three major themes. Uh, Number one, that there was effectively law enforcement chaos from Border Patrol on down to local police. No incident commander took charge, and they many in the beginning were not following typical active shooter procedures. Number two, lack security at the school, including not locking doors, and third, uh, the shooter, signs family, co-workers, even the gun store selling him the guns should have seen in the lead up, but never reported to authorities. On the law enforcement front, if you remember, the Texas governor praised them in the early hours for their response. Then he sort of took it back. And this is what we know based on the report. They had a garrison there that uh, effectively uh, came into that parking lot. It was larger than the one that actually defended the Alamo, to put it in Texas terms for wow. folks. 149 U.S. Border Patrol, 91 state police. 25 police officers from uh, Uvalde, 16 sheriff's deputies, add in U.S. Marshals, even DEA, but there was no leadership. Eventually, Border Patrol, by the way, after an hour, goes in without seeking permission after basically all these couple hundred folks are waiting in the parking lot. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the school as well. Robb Elementary School appeared to have all of the pieces in place to slow an intruder. The school has a five-foot fence. It has an emergency management alert system and a policy to keep exterior and interior doors locked at all times, but didn't really work out. No. Unfortunately, the issue is they didn't follow these. They didn't utilize all these uh, defense mechanisms they had in place. The report says the teachers would often leave doors unlocked. Apparently, there was a shortage of keys. Uh, The teachers didn't take the alert on May 24th seriously since the school is about 50 miles from the Mexican border. And so the system would often be triggered by immigration pursuits. So they're just like, oh, it must be another one of those. Hmm. The next section is what I found most concerning. And it reminds me of sort of the situation we've seen in Holland Park, we've seen in Parkland, we've seen in other places, which is warning signs of the shooter. A year before the massacre, he apparently had earned the nickname school shooter on social media platforms because of the threats he would make against users. 
Also, in the final months of his life, he was determined to acquire guns, a desire the report says family and friends were aware of. And because he lived with his grandmother, had no expenses, he was able to use all of his money for that effort. And while he was still 17, he would ask, he apparently asked at least two people to purchase guns for him. They refused. When he was 18, he bought two AR-15 style rifles online. He didn't have a driver's license, so he actually had his uncle drive him to, apparently in Texas, this is a gun shop slash restaurant to pick them up. Oh, wow. It's hard to get all these details. It really is. The report says that uh, the owner of the gun store called him a, quote, average customer with no red flags, but other patrons in the store have since told the FBI that they thought he was very nervous looking and appeared odd and looked like one of those school shooters. That's what they said. Yeah, Kevin, I guess the theme here is no one said anything, even with these red flags. And, you know, there's been talk in the um, aftermath of the recent federal legislation and what happened in Holland Park about red flag laws, but they are only as successful as the family and friends around these individuals. And of course, many shooters are loners. Also in states like Texas, there's few tripwires because you know you have permitless carry, uh, limited background checks, et cetera. And so we're gonna you know watch as more details come out here, but it just continue to see these headlines coming out of Texas and all the various uh, concerning elements here. and. Uh, missed opportunities. Can I ask you who somebody should report red flags to if they see them, if they know somebody, a neighbor, a family member, somebody at school, uh, and they're, they're, you know, showing these uh, disturbing behaviors, who should they contact? Well, in, in the in the states that have red flag laws, which I believe are just under 20 states and D.C., Kevin, it is the local law enforcement. Um, you, you know, whether you're a, a gun owner or you see somebody or you see somebody on social media, um, there is that. Obviously, there's a nature of families to protect people. They don't want to turn over loved ones to authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is certainly that. I, oftentimes, you'll see warning signs with these individuals, uh, signs of depression, talk of uh, something extreme. And that's where it's incumbent upon people to, if, it's, if they don't know that family is aware, report it to family or, or authorities. All right. uh, President Biden is back in Washington today after wrapping up several days of meetings across the Middle East. A senior U.S. energy envoy tells reporters that major crude oil producers have spare capacity and are likely to boost supplies following the president's visit, uh, though they didn't specify which countries. Uh, At the same time, Saudi Arabia's foreign minister said the U.S. Arab summit on Saturday did not discuss oil. He said that OPEC, which is the organization of many of the world's largest oil producers, will make their own determination on what to do next. Their next meeting, which includes reps from Russia, is on August 3rd. Uh, Moshe, you're the expert here. Would you say this was a successful trip for Biden? Well, you, you sort of just laid it out, Kevin, right? The U.S. is like, yeah, we totally got the Saudis to uh, to boost their capacity. The Saudis are like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. We didn't really discuss oil, and it's totally up to us. It's sort of like the Middle East in general, which is like, it really depends on who you ask. But let's go through here because he went through a couple of the most challenging parts of the region uh, that have had years or decades of conflict. Um, He started in Israel where he reassured the Israelis that they have an ally in the White House. He called himself a Zionist. He dismissed um, some Democrats who criticized Israel. He said he will prevent Iran from getting nukes. He went as far as he could rhetorically. Then he went to the Palestinians where he announced hundreds of millions of dollars in more aid. This is aid that Trump had cut off. So he continues to sort of play the middle-ish ground, you know, uh, that U.S. presidents have played for a while. Uh, no peace breakthrough, but none was expected. And then we get to the Saudi situation. So this is one of the bigger things that impact the most Americans, which is Iran gas prices. You know, he told the Saudis, which he told the same to the Israelis, you know, we'll make sure the Iranians don't get nukes. But let's talk gas prices for a second. Because incidentally, 
Gas prices have dropped for 30 consecutive days as of uh, this weekend. Uh, basically means that some Americans are paying less at the pump, though I have heard from those of you on Instagram from Utah and California who's like, when are we going to see this? And I'm like, well, it depends on your state and states, et cetera. So he is but looking down the road, though, Kevin, and trying to get the Saudis uh, to pump more. Because as we know, with gas prices, uh, things tend to go up and things come down. Right. Yeah. Let's talk more about those gas prices. They have been dropping, like you said, for 30 straight days now, uh, right now at 457, but still up from 315 a year ago. Those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> the Gas Buddy website predicts gas prices could continue to decline in the coming weeks, but at the same time, prices could still come back up again. Uh, there are concerns about potential hurricanes and refinery shutdowns as well. All of this plays in. Right. And so we are in hurricane season, as we know, that lasts from June till the end of October. That obviously has a huge impact, especially if hurricanes come through the Gulf in terms of uh, refineries. I mean, we saw what happened in the Gulf last year really shut us down for a while. Um, one big thing that's hanging over all of this is new sanctions on Russia that are set to take right. effect this fall. The irony is that right now, the drop we're seeing in gas prices is partially because the sanctions we did put on Russia have not been that effective. Russian oil is still being sold to China and India, among other places. Oil is a global market. And so ultimately, globally, supply dictates prices on exchanges. The oil is still out there. It's enough to meet demand. And so the prices are coming down. Now, there are new sanctions set to go in effect this fall that might dry up that Russian supply. That includes a full ban on cargo shipments of Russian oil to Europe. That's going to happen in December. Uh, so this will start to get priced in the fall. And then there's also going to be new sanctions on insuring Russian oil ships. And so ultimately, you could see prices then uh, go up there. A lot of caveats here, Kevin, that includes like, will there be shutdowns in China? China's, you know, the world, one of the world's largest economies, number two. And so if they shut things down, that means less Chinese need gas, which then brings down prices. Remember, folks, when it comes to your gas prices, you're just a small cog in a huge wheel. Do you remember the lowest gas price you've ever seen in your life when you were a kid in the backseat with, with your parents? I feel like it, was, it had to be under $2, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, the, I, I the, can, I can vividly remember seeing a dollar 12 or something like that. I don't think it ever, I ever saw below a dollar though. And no, I, I don't think I, I'm not old enough to have seen that Kevin, but I will <laughs> say this, there were numbers that put out recently, somebody did a calculation. And once you take into effect inflation and everything else, not that this makes you feel better and not this, that makes it suck less when you have to spend more than hundred dollars to fill your tank. But if you look on an inflation based scale, we are technically, even at the prices we paid uh, this past spring, paying less than at the height of the oil crisis in the 70s. Again, doesn't, oh, make wow. a doesn't make a difference to many folks. But at the end of the day, we are paying less for gas, even at peak prices in the 70s. All right, let's go over to uh, Europe right now. There is, of course, that unprecedented heat wave that's fueling wildfires, causing heat-related deaths and breaking records all over Western Europe. British authorities are issuing dire warnings as temperatures may reach 104 degrees Fahrenheit in southern Britain a region usually known for July highs in the 70s. In Britain, few homes, apartments, schools, or small businesses even have air conditioning, so that's making residents particularly vulnerable. Extreme heat in the hundreds is also endangering the environment and homes with wildfires raging in Portugal, Spain, and France. It's crazy. 
Yeah, it reminds me of what we saw in Seattle in Canada last year. You know, another region known for uh, not the hottest summers, few air conditioners. And so I've been getting notes from people in Britain who are like, we don't have air conditioning here. It's never felt this hot. And so the British authorities have now described this as a national emergency. Southern Britain is under a, quote, extreme heat warning for the first time on record. The London Underground uh, is warning subway passengers not to travel on Monday and Tuesday due to the heat. I mean, we're talking temperatures right now in the interior of Portugal set to hit 111 degrees Fahrenheit. It could reach 120 some days. Sevilla, Spain has been seeing temperatures north of 105 for more than nine days. Parts of the country there could reach 120 as well. That's scary. And unfortunately, we've seen several hundred heat-related deaths across Europe so far. And leaders there are pointing to climate change as the culprit. They, uh, They calculate that temps like these are now 10 times more likely due to human CO2 emissions That's according to the uh, UK Met Office, and that's short for Meteorological Office. Uh, Marge, what are we doing here in in the States to battle this? You've been, I know, tracking some headlines out of D.C. on what Congress is up to on the climate front. What can you tell us? Any good news? (laughs) Well, it it depends on who you ask um, and where they're from. Because I will say this, you know, Biden did come into office hoping to pass a big package when it comes to emissions. He set a major goal, which is to have literally cut in half our CO2 emissions by 2030. So what are we looking at? Next eight years. They had spent months and months negotiating. Remember, the U.S. Senate's a 50-50 situation. 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans. The Dems have the slight advantage because they bring in the vice president on tiebreakers. And they're negotiating with one key Democrat. That's Joe Manchin, who's one of the most, if not the most conservative Democrat. He's from West Virginia, big coal country. So they kept revising it over and over and over again. And one Democrat described themselves as Charlie Brown to Manchin's Lucy with the football. As in, they kept going and he kept changing the ideas. And so it was a $2 trillion package. It was a $555 billion package. Then it became a $300 billion package. And then they added to that measures to encourage oil and gas drilling. Uh, but Manchin kept saying he was concerned about this, concerned about that. Ultimately, end of the week, he said, listen, I'm too concerned about inflation and spending. I can't do it. I can't do it. Democrats will be reminded that he once ran a campaign advertisement. This is Manchin running in West Virginia, where it's hard to run as a Democrat, where he literally in the commercial shot a bullet hole through Obama's climate plan. That's I 10 remember years that. ago. I remember that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and so, you know, ultimately, they had a challenge here. Uh, Democrats will remind him that whether, when it comes to costs, they might say that right now we've seen eight of the hottest years in, on record since 2010. Weather disasters have now cost the U.S. more than $100 billion a year during that time. So it's like, would you like to spend it on the climate plan or would you like to spend it on dealing with you know, climate-related stuff? And so Biden said on Friday he's going to take executive action on climate change, whatever that's worth. Um, and you know, the challenge there, Kevin, is that the recent Supreme Court ruling says the EPA doesn't have as much power as it once they believe they did to be able to deal with climate issues. Okay, so I, I mean, cut to the chase here. Can can Biden do anything? Is there anything that he can actually do? It depends on who you ask. The uh, environmentalists will say Biden needs to take it up to a ten right now. He's been at a five, they believe. He can issue a mix of rules when it comes to cutting emissions from power plants, vehicles, oil and gas industry. But keep in mind, the same reason climate change went to the Supreme Court uh, this year was because of a lawsuit. And so ultimately what you might see is that he might rule, the EPA might issue more rulings when it comes to emissions, and we will likely see those going to court over the next couple of years. Could he at least take the Kardashians' private planes away from them? <laughs> that is an executive order that I don't, I don't know if that's constitutional, Kevin, but it's we something have, we, we have might more come on that to. coming up in a minute here. Deep tease, deep tease. Well done. <laughs> 
All right, now to, uh, this is very heavy, but a slew of headlines that came out this weekend about how care for women with pregnancy complications has been impacted in states with these abortion bans. Uh, the Associated Press and the Washington Post published stories this weekend laying out the difficulties some physicians and pregnant women have been navigating in the dozen or so states with restrictive new abortion bans. They describe a new reality since the overturning of Roe late last month uh, in which hospitals are scrutinizing, delaying, or even denying women care who are experiencing incomplete miscarriages, uh, ectopic pregnancies, and other common complications. Uh, while state abortion bans typically carve out uh, exceptions when a woman's life is endangered, the laws appear to lack necessary details prompting some obstetricians to consult lawyers and hospital administrators uh, on decisions around routine care when women are facing major health issues. But uh, officials are unsure if that means their their life is at risk yet. Uh, so Moshe, we are seeing a few stories here from a bunch of states. I know Missouri and Texas are a couple of them that you were following. Yeah, this was a concern, Kevin, when the, when the Roe v. Wade decision came down, that some of the bans that went into effect in some of these states were written by lawmakers without consulting medical officials. Uh, and they were very simple bans. And hearing from state medical associations and doctors, they're saying, guys, we need more nuance in the law here. Um, even though treating conditions like atopic pregnancy officially is something that is legal in all 50 states, there appears to be confusion because in some cases you need to use similar drugs or procedures that are also used in abortions. So physicians tell the AP that new abortion bans oversimplify the reality of obstetric care. It places a binary, you know, basically can you or can't you, and what is really a continuous spectrum of increasing risk. So pregnancy puts a huge stress on a patient's body. And so depending on the health problems or existing health problems, such as diabetes, hypertension, et cetera, doctors are concerned, do I have to wait until these conditions become life-threatening to treat? And so doctors are left saying, you know, technically the life isn't at risk at the moment, but prolonging this could hurt her health long-term. Can I do this now? One San Antonio doctor tells the AP they recently faced a predicament with a recent patient who had started to miscarry and developed a dangerous infection. The fetus still had signs of a heartbeat, so they couldn't go with an immediate abortion, the usual standard of care. They describe watching her get sicker and sicker until a fetal heartbeat stopped. I mean, this is really, uh, this is really difficult uh, to you know, even think about and mm -hmm. more simply to experience. But the patient ended up developing complications, required surgery, uh, had to be put on a breathing machine due to the delay as these doctors basically weighed like, wait, can we do this? Can we act? What does the law really say here? It's gotta be so complicated for them. What are these doctors in these states asking for now? So in a state like Missouri, uh, the AP reports doctors have asked the state for better guidance. They're saying, listen, we need more specific details on what we can do and really more definition around uh, a mother's health. So the governor's office says the state health department would provide clarity. So they went to the governor. The governor says go to the state health department. In the state health department, their guidance for the most part directs questioners to read the laws. So they're like, just read the law. Uh, and by the way, we're leaving it to the prosecutors to interpret. So now the doctors are saying, well, we went to the governor. They sent us to the state health department. The state health department is just read the law and it might be up to prosecutors. And so now they're sitting in a hospital worried about overzealous DAs with political ambitions, perhaps, who could try to find cases in hospitals to prosecute. So that has doctors checking with their lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what the Missouri Hospital Association says. This is a spokesperson. The uncertainty of whether that judgment will be second-guessed is the challenge for physicians right now. It is impossible to know in advance whether a prosecutor or a member of law enforcement will agree with the clinician's determination of risk to the life of the mother. And so this is the dilemma, unfortunately, you're seeing in states. And they're asking the lawmakers right now to go back and be like, please provide more clarity in the law. 
All right, let's get to that speed read. I like this uh, this part of your show here, Moj. Happy to be a part of it. Uh, it's our check of a few of the headlines you will likely to be chatting about with your family and friends. We'll start with this one from NBC News. Uh, the 988 hotline has launched nationwide. This is a big one. People experiencing a mental health crisis can now call or text the three-digit number 988 to reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and connect with mental health professionals trained to respond to such emergencies. Uh, The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline went live on Saturday morning. The hotline was designed to provide 24-7 free and confidential emotional support around the country to those in mental health distress. The hotline is made up of a network of 200 local crisis centers around the country. So happy to see this. Yeah, this is a, a long time in coming, Kevin. If local centers, by the way, cannot connect to a counselor, there's a national backup center that can pick up the call. Uh, the problem was, for years, the 911 was not set up to address mental health needs. Either callers end up in a frenetic emergency room waiting for hours and sometimes days to get care, or they end up interacting with law enforcement, which can lead to tragedy and trauma. So mental health advocates hope that the 988 number will become widely known and a safer and more effective alternative to 911. For the vast majority of people who call the lifeline, the call is an effective intervention. Uh, Officials put it 90% effective over the phone, though some of the calls do require in-person follow-up. And just to give you numbers here, Kevin, there were 3.6 million calls in 2021. Now with the easier number, 988, they actually expect it to double. So the Biden administration and Congress have dedicated a bunch of money, $432 million, uh, to help build up capacity in call centers. That's from $24 million. So um, a huge, significant amount of funding, though they are hoping that the states will be able to uh, bring more funding there um, as these numbers are expected to go up. Does this require like branding? Like we all know 911, that's just, you know, seared into our brains from the time we're little kids. Like I hope this catches on as, you know, as much as 911 has. Yeah, they they do have a marketing budget behind this. So I imagine folks will be hearing about this more and more. But, you know, listen, I think that having an easy three-digit number, Kevin, when someone's in a time of need and a place to go to with trained operators will hopefully be effective and and help save some lives. Uh, All right, this next story comes to us from CNN Business. Uh, These U.S. airports are the worst for cancellations and delays this summer. Avoid them if you can. Probably can't if you're traveling on the East Coast. If you're on the East uh, Coast, it's going to be hard, folks. (laughs) Flight delays and cancellations show no sign of letting up. U.S. airlines have canceled more than 100,000 flights this year, with 30,000 cancellations just since Memorial Day weekend. That's crazy. That's according to data from flight tracking site FlightAware. They have put out the top 10 airports for delays and cancellations so far this year. Flight cancellations in the U.S. are highest at New York area airports like Newark and LaGuardia. Uh, They're seeing more than 7% of flights canceled. All of the top 10, like we said a second ago, all of the top 10 appear to be airports on the East Coast, D.C., Philly, Boston, Charlotte, uh, among them. Yeah, and by the way, the the delays also appear to be primarily in the crowded airspace on that East Coast. Kevin, about one in every three flights out of Chicago Midway, Orlando, JFK, Newark, and BWI have been delayed. That's one in three out of those airports. Uh, The West does make it onto the end of the delayed list. Denver and Vegas are number nine and number 10, respectively. About one out of four flights out of Denver and out of Vegas are delayed. I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago on a, a podcast edition I did with Peter Greenberg, who's a big travel expert. And he was talking about you know, that part of the issue we dealt with, if you can believe it, Kevin, is that the airlines were so excited by all the bookings they saw and all the interest they saw in the winter and spring that they booked a bunch of flights without actually checking if they had enough pilots or there were enough gates at these airports. 
Wow, if you build it, they will come, huh? <laughs> that, that was the hope. It turned out not to be true. And we've already had, I mean, for anyone who's flown on the, on the East Coast, especially New Yorkers or people who've flown to New York, you know how crowded that airspace is. Florida is a huge issue right now because of the number of people who move there, vacations, Disney World, et cetera. You know, people kind of doing their revenge post-COVID travel. And so that was already a problem. And then it just only got worse this year. All right, let's head to uh, entertainment. This is the uh, headline from Glamour Magazine that we mentioned earlier. Kylie Jenner and Travis Scott are facing backlash over matching private jets. Moshe, I saw this on your Instagram stories and I wanted to talk about it. Uh, She's flaunting her wealth, basically. She posted a photo of herself and uh, her partner, Travis Scott, in front of private jets. Uh, On Friday, she shared this photo and uh, it says, the caption says, you want to take mine or yours? Yeah. This is not the first time the family is getting grief for flaunting wealth using the high CO2 emitting private planes, despite saying they care about climate change issues. Yeah. A a couple layers here, Kevin. I mean, first of all, uh, we should say Kylie was the first billionaire among the Kardashians, among her sisters. Um, And so apparently bought herself what is believed to be a $72 million plane. Uh, Both Kylie and sister Kim Uh, have been criticized for some of the short trips they're taking that could otherwise be done uh, just a few miles or hours uh, by car, but using their private jets instead. Uh, keep in I mind, think it said one of those said it was like a 45 minute drive. It would have been a 45 minute drive and they flew. Well, you also know Southern California though, Kevin. Uh, yes. You know, with traffic, that 45 minutes could be a couple hours. <laughs> That's a good point. Never mind. I take it back. Get me a PJ. Yeah, no, right. Exactly. Not, not that I'm not that I'm defending their use of uh, a plane for just a few miles. But by the way, this is pretty incredible. A private jet flight can emit as much carbon in one or two flights as the average American puts out in a year. So um, when it comes to things they've said about, you know, we need to fight climate change, et cetera, uh, that certainly put them in the bullseye. Another Kardashian, Kevin, is also getting her share of criticism this weekend. There's a CBS LA investigation that shows that Sister Courtney and her $8 million Calabasas home has been using 245% of its water budget in May. Remember, there's major drought conditions. It's affecting really everyone in L.A. The city has put limitations on how much water you can use. According to CBS L.A., Courtney, for at least four straight months now, has gone way over budget on the new water restrictions. And we don't want to just single out the Kardashians here. She's not the only celebrity. Uh, The Game, the rapper The Game, he's uh, on this list. Kevin Hart, Sly Stallone, they're all going way over. And they're usually met with fines for this behavior, but issuing a fine when you're that rich, it doesn't really mean that much. So authorities have the uh, right to put a water flow restrictor on the biggest abusers. Yeah, they actually put one on Kevin Hart's house, though they apparently took it off after two months. So I don't know again what the deal is there. I have, I did get a couple notes from people in Switzerland. And in Switzerland, it's very interesting. All of their fines, even things like speeding tickets, are done as a percentage of income. So you'll see speeding tickets, Kevin, in places like Switzerland in the tens of thousands of dollars if you're a multimillionaire. Because again, they're going based on a percent of how much. Uh, you make, which I think is really interesting. And that was something they're like, you guys should throw that on the Kardashians over there in Southern California. (laughs) And the reason why this is such a big deal, Kevin, is this is the fourth driest year on record in the past 128 years. And scientists are now saying that the drought affecting the Western region of the US, uh, they've calculated this, is the worst in a thousand years. All right, we're going to stay with entertainment for a second here. This headline is from People, Top Gun Maverick, Flies Past Titanic is Paramount's highest grossing movie at the domestic box office. Top Gun Maverick has officially surpassed Titanic in ticket sales when you compare the first run releases. While Titanic technically racked up close to $660 million at the domestic box office, including both its original run and several subsequent re-releases, it earned 600.8 on that first run, that number uh, that has now been surpassed by Tom Cruise and, uh, and company. 
Yeah, and this is Cruz's first film to surpass a billion dollars. And he's been in some like real, you know, big, big movies. But this is the first one to surpass a billion at the box office. Uh, he is behind still Titanic at 2.2 billion it made all time. Uh, I heard from folks on Instagram, like, you got to compare this with inflation, man. It's been 25 mm -hmm. years. Like, how much did Titanic actually make? So I've done this calculation, Kevin, that Titanic's 2.2 billion back in the late 90s actually today would be $4 billion. So, oh. uh, so Maverick, more than a billion uh, globally, but to get to Titanic in inflation terms, it's got to make another three bill. I do remember my mom saw it three times in the theater. Have you seen Maverick yet? I have not even seen the first Top Gun. So no, wait, I haven't. Wait, that's <laughs> <know>. a headline. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know everybody gives me grief for it. Uh, but yeah, I'll get so around many, to it. So many missing cultural references. All right, Kevin, we'll have to have you back once you've seen the first and the second one. Uh, and another uh, entertainment headline here. This one came came across the phones on Sunday. Big one from TMZ. Ben and Jen are married. Jennifer Lopez will soon be called Jennifer Affleck for legal purposes after filing documents to legally change her last name uh, following reports that she and Ben got married over the weekend in Nevada. She posted several photos and videos from the surprise wedding on her website and her newsletter. Uh, it's called On the J-Lo. Uh, that's where she and her team have spilled all the details about their nuptials. She wrote, we did it. Love is beautiful. Love is kind. And it turns out love is patient. 20 years patient. How sweet. Yeah, well, remember, uh, Ben and Jen first got engaged in 2002, uh, Kevin, but then called things off in 04 before they got married. I have to admit, by the way, that I uh, just signed up for On the J-Lo. Uh, admittedly, I have dozens of newsletters and news apps. On the J-Lo was not coming into my inbox. Now, uh, to be able to access those photos, I, I have signed up for it. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, I haven't seen the movie they made together either, if that's uh, if that helps the Top Gun thing. Was that Geely? Yeah. <laughs> yes, no, I, I think you that. get credit for not seeing Geely based on what I heard. <laughs> I also have not seen Geely. Uh, by the way, she also wrote on her website... Uh, quote, last night we flew to Vegas, stood in line for a license with four other couples. Um, I'm curious to see when those couples talk about their experience. Yeah. Uh, we all made the same journey to the wedding capital of the world. Uh, on to sports. This is from USA Today. Fox Sports has apologized for superimposing Yankees Red Sox logos over the 9-11 memorial at the World Trade Center. This one was kind of crazy. Another one I saw on your Instagram stories first. Uh, Fox Sports has issued that apology for using this iconic New York City landmark as the backdrop for a graphic during Saturday night's Baseball Night in America broadcast. It follows criticism for superimposing the, the logos right there on the 9-11 museum at the World Trade Center uh, which as they were leading into a commercial break in the network on Sunday acknowledged that mistake. They said, quote, during last night's telecast, we used poor judgment on the use of a graphic. Uh, we sincerely apologize and regret the decision. Yeah, you can sort of, you know, you're, you're a uh, production guy, Kevin. You can sort of like hear the graphics operator being like, I got these logos. Oh, I got a place to place these logos with this new, you know, technology I have and did so without thinking. And so they basically put the logos on the memorial pools. Those were the mm -hmm. footprints, the Twin Towers. Purposefully, nothing was built on top of them when they built the new complex. Um, and so uh, the season is now on its all-star break. The Home Run Derby is Monday night. The all-star game is on Tuesday night. Uh, Dodger Stadium is going to be hosting the game, and it'll be airing on Fox, of course. Uh, I imagine they'll be running uh, the traps and doing some extra double checks on where they put graphics on Tuesday night. Yeah, seems like maybe just a mistake, and, and they've apologized. Yeah. 
The Australian golfer Cameron Smith was the big winner at the British Open. He surged past Rory McIlroy on Sunday to win the 150th British Open. The 28-year-old Smith began the day four strokes behind McIlroy and co-leader Victor Hovland, but shot 8-under-64 to finish 20-under to win the first major championship of his entire career. Congrats. Smith becomes the first Australian golfer to win the event since Greg Norman in 1993. Yeah, and of course, this British Open took place at the old course of St. Andrews, which is uh, deemed the home of golf. Uh, an American, by the way, finished in second place. That was Cameron Young. He was one stroke behind at 19 under. And then came in Rory McIlroy. Uh, he's originally from Northern Ireland. Uh, he was a fan favorite if you watched uh, the telecast over the weekend. He was trying to win his fifth major and end an eight-year drought at major championships, but of course couldn't get there. And so Rory ended up in third place. Uh, and finally, that brings us to our Good Mood Monday story here. We mentioned it earlier. It's a, it's a cool one. Uh, it comes from uh, an NBC station, WKYC in Cleveland. This 90-year-old owner of a McDonald's franchise in Mayfield Heights is getting kudos from his employees for paying them in full while the restaurant was closed for three months of renovation. He continued to pay his 80 full-time and part-time employees the entire time. It's really an incredible story. And, you know, amid all these negative headlines, we try our best to deliver some positive news to folks that, you know, people are still good. Uh, the owner's name here is a guy, uh, Tony Filio, 90 years old. He actually flipped his first burger as an employee at this location 60 years ago, uh, where he told a reporter he was making 90 cents an hour. He came to America at age 15 from Greece, uh, served in the Korean War, eventually becomes the boss of the McDonald's. Uh, and he effectively told his employees, like, listen, we're going to renovate, uh, but you're going to sit at home and you're going to get paid. Uh, and he went on to tell the reporters, I have people here making a living here and they go from week to week pay. How can I tolerate for them to not have a paycheck? Uh, you know, really heartwarming that uh, he uh, did this for such a large team. Yeah. There's been so many construction delays everywhere these days. I wonder if he was, you know, on site, like really like nervous that this was going to last another three months. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I, I made them a promise. I hope I'm not waiting in, uh, waiting for another six months. But, you know, it, it comes at a time, Kevin, where we've seen all the headlines recently about how hard it is for companies to retain employees. And so what, you know, this what Tony told reporters is like, listen, if you do the right thing, Word gets out. People stick around. Incidentally, he has helped at least four of his employees become franchise owners over the course wow. of the last few years. Love that guy. So, Kevin, that concludes uh, our first podcast together, my friend. Uh, thanks for joining me today. This was so fun. It's, uh, it's honestly an honor to be here. So thank you for having me. Um, Kevin, where can people continue to follow uh, your coverage of, of all things? Uh, you can follow me personally at Kevin Mano on Instagram or my podcast is at First Thing Pod. And again, it will be back uh, soon. Just, uh, you know, taking a minute to figure some stuff out behind the scenes. But uh, I love doing it. I'm passionate about it. Uh, and I, uh, I can't wait to bring it back. So you're on a hiatus on sabbatical. And uh, we will let folks know when uh, you are up and live on a daily basis again, Kevin. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mosh. It's, uh, it's great to be here, man. So thanks for everyone for listening. We'd love your feedback on how we're doing and uh, what we're covering uh, and who else you'd like to see uh, come in here as a guest co-host in the coming weeks and months and whether stories you want us to cover. Email us, podcast at mo.news. Uh, remember to subscribe to our newsletter, monews.bulletin.com and follow me on Instagram at Moshe, at M-O-S-H-E-H. -E and of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or follow us and review us in the app store, especially if you are liking what we're doing over here. I'll see you guys later this week. Sweet.